We welcome you into another episode of OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. In more ways than one can count, the volatility in the industry is as high as it's ever been. A lack of inventory, logistical issues, supply chain constraints, and mixed production forecasts have forced automakers and their tiered suppliers into difficult conversations, especially of late. Throw in raw material shortages, inflation, and a cooling economy, and relationships are bound to fray at the edges. Of course, tension is nothing new when it comes to the relationship between both parties. External pressures are amplifying much of it and leading to disputes and threats of supply chain continuity. Legal agreements are rising to the forefront. Today, on Automotive Insiders, we talk about the interpretation of legal agreements between the various parties and some potential strategies for addressing disputes. What are the major issues and what are some of the key relief points buyers should consider in entering into a supply relationship, focusing on what might actually be realistic? Plus, if buyers and sellers can reach agreements, what do they need to do to document them? Today, we talk to Dan Russman, a shareholder in Butzel's Detroit, Michigan office. His practice has been devoted to litigation, and he's handled cases in numerous substantive areas, including product liability defense, warranty, and product recall litigation, and other commercial contract litigation and arbitration. We talk pricing, supply chain, contracts, and harmony, or the goal thereof, on OESA's Automotive Insiders. Dan Russman, welcome into Automotive Insiders. Thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me, Jason. Well, Dan, there's no question that there is tension uh, in the air. Uh, frankly, it's always existed between buyers and sellers in this industry, as you know. But of course, it's become a lot more acute in recent years, the last couple of years, due to those external pressures placed on the supply chain. Where are we right now on the tension piece of this as it relates to the pandemic and transportation constraints, raw materials, there's an endless list of, uh, of, of items out here. Inflation, where do we begin? Indeed, Jason. I wish I could say we were on the other side of it, but uh, I have to say in the last two years, I've seen more conflict, more tension between buyers and sellers in the auto industry than I've seen really in my 30 years. Hmm. I mean, there have been times of challenge, but this takes the cake. Uh, you know, it's been one thing after another. We had nonstop uh, force majeure issues, starting with the pandemic and then the port shutdowns and and uh, the Texas ice storm and you name it. There have been, you know, just numerous force majeure situations, real serious threats to disruption of the supply chain. Um, of course, all of the costs for everybody have been increasing. So there's incredible uh, tension on the supply chain in terms of dealing with the raw material costs, resins, metals, all kinds of components. It's creating great tension because, as you know, probably most of the contracts in the auto industry are fixed price for a long term. Mm -hmm. So when people get, get in these situations, there it creates a huge tension between buyer and seller how to adjust these raw material costs and deal with them. And then most recently, we've been seeing uh, throughout the pandemic and really continuing to the present, there's been great volatility in uh, the, the volumes in the way the orders are processed up and down. And now we're seeing uh, as the industry starts to come back to life, the chip crisis starting to get more and more resolved. Um, now people are having capacity constraints, you know, serious problems uh, 
getting the parts made and delivered um, because, uh, you know, it's, and labor. I mean, so all these issues combined and uh, we're seeing increased bankruptcies and tension. I, I've seen more aggression between buyers and sellers in the last uh, six months or a year than, as I said, I've ever seen in the industry. And correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the disputes are revolving around application and interpretation of the legal agreements. Legal issues generally are creating the biggest uh, problem here, right, Dan? Well, it's, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily creating the biggest problem, but it's definitely creating serious problems to resolution of these disputes. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you get it, you know, the, 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 the problems are really caused by the external factors. But it's the, you know, when the, when the situation arises between a buyer and seller, an OEM or, or a tier one and tier two or down the chain, the first thing you do is go look at the terms and conditions, look at the contract, look at the documents that govern the party's relationship and try to figure out, well, what are the party's rights and obligations? That's the starting point. And so often as it is in the auto industry, they're very one-sided towards the buyer. Um, so, it's, it, you know, it's, it creates some imbalance. And that increases the tension and makes it more difficult to resolve. Um, so, you know, we certainly advocate trying to get a better contract up front because when the problems come up, the first thing you do, go look at the contract. And, you know, if it's, if it's unclear, if it's ambiguous, that creates one set of problems. If it's really onerous and one-sided, that creates another set of issues. Um, and people are desperate. So, uh, it creates a lot of conflict. Uh, you know, it's good for us lawyers, unfortunately, <laughs> for, for the business people, but uh, it's not the way we want to make money. I'd rather uh, help people with solutions than try to deal with, uh, you know, with, with this constant problem. So, What are some of the key relief points buyers should consider in entering into a supply relationship? Focusing on what might actually be realistic, is that the path forward? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you know, anytime you come into a contract relationship, you're quoting a new program and you look at it. I mean, the, the salespeople obviously are focusing on price and profit and what how can they, you know, get the sale? How can they make the, the customer happy and get the, the sale? Um, and too often, I'm, I'm afraid they, they don't pay as much attention as they should to the, to the contract documents themselves, the terms and conditions that govern. And it's really going to impact, impact hugely whether you actually make a profit down the road or not. Um, and I think that people underestimate the amount of leverage that a seller has. And you know, typical uh, people in the you know, mindset in the industry is, well, nobody will ever change the terms. And it's not even worth asking because they always say no, no, no. But we're seeing now in these days of great strife that if people would have been firmer up front and got a little bit better deal, maybe we'd have a better chance now. So, you know, to get back to your question, what are the main points and where might, I mean, the number one is probably, to my view these days, price adjustment clause. If, if it's at all possible to get any kind of provision in your contract that allows for an adjustment of the price over time, um, you know, even if it's only an emergency situation, even if it only has limited con- um, parameters, if it only deals with a particular commodity like steel or resin or some kind of adjustment, I mean, from a seller's perspective, it's almost a necessity. If you get these days, these contracts go for as much as 10 years and you could be stuck as so many people are losing money. So you pretty much, I think, almost need to walk away if you can't get some kind of price adjustment. I know easier said than done, but I'd have to say from the buyer's perspective, it makes sense too. 
because then you don't later on have desperate suppliers who are losing money and threatening to stop shipment and and disrupting your supply chain. Now, if you're a tier one or a tier two and you're buying from a tier two or a tier three, you have to be careful about the price adjustment because you want to be able to try to get it from your customer. You don't want to be so-called meat in the sandwich and stuck in that uh, pain where you have to give a, a price increase to your uh, seller, but you can't get it from your buyer. So you have to be sensitive to that. But uh, price is something really to look at these days. And one, another item that I think that people uh, overlook too often, and uh, that's, that's something re- very realistic to try to get is look at the actual lead times in the contract. People don't pay enough attention to it. Oh, the industry standard is four weeks, and that's what you get. Well, these days, supply chains are longer and longer. And a lot of times, the lead times can be as much as six or eight weeks. Um, it, it influences not just the amount of obsolescence if there's a program termination or cancellation, but it also, as we're seeing more and more these days, really has an impact on these capacity issues. You know, if the buyer comes on very short notice and says, oh, we need to, in, you need to increase your production uh, by 20%, we're re- releasing huge new volumes of orders. If you didn't have any protection on the lead times in the contract, you could be really stuck with that. And it's a terrible situation where you can't meet the customer's needs and no defense. If you put in some good language about lead times, maybe that'll help you. So that's just a case of documenting, right? If it, and if you're if you can reach that agreement, you just need to document better. That's effectively what you're saying. Well, it's absolutely true. If you can reach an agreement, you know, on any one of these issues, and you might want to look at intellectual property, warranty, force majeure, there's so many, you have to make your game plan going in. Let's say you get an agreement on some uh, relief point in your negotiation with your customer, you absolutely have to document it carefully. I see so many instances when people are sloppy about how they document things, and it really creates bigger problems later. It has to be very clear. You have to use language that some third party, like a judge that doesn't know your business can know what you're talking about. And you got to put it in an agreement that you sign. Maybe you can do a markup to the terms and conditions. Less likely you're going to get that these days. But if you do, you both have to sign it. And then when the buyer issues the purchase order, you have to make sure that the purchase order references that uh, that deal that you've reached, that agreement that you've signed, or the purchase order could trump it. It could supersede it. So you've got to be, I mean, I hate to say it, but these days, people that are buyers and sellers really have to pay close attention to these legal issues, not just the business aspects, but because it, it's part of the business aspect, knowing that it has such an influence on and your leverage later on when, when, when problems come up. If you've done it right up front, you're going to be a lot better off uh, later on. I'd say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. No question here. Yeah, no kidding. Any final thoughts, Dan? Well, Jason, I'd just say that people should you know try to work together, try to keep patient, try to you know, know that this is not going to go on forever. Um, and, and the parties have to work with each other. And there's going to be a future. People are getting desperate, getting aggressive um, on, on all sides because it's difficult. But uh, just need to keep, you know, keep the faith, keep working together and try to, to, to move it forward. And uh, eventually we'll all be making money again, I'm sure. You know, Dan, you said it best. You haven't seen this kind of activity in the three decades that you've been in the business. Let's hope that the environment improves. Absolutely. Great. Thanks for being on Automotive Insiders. Thank you, Jason. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. And thanks again to my guest, Dan Rustman of Butzel. And thanks for listening to OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time. 